You're listening to the Missionary Perspective Podcast with veteran missionaries Eric Johnson and Joshua Mead. We're glad you could join us. We trust this podcast will be both a blessing and a challenge as we relate topics in world evangelism from a missionary perspective. Now, here's Josh and Eric. Hey, everyone. This is the Missionary Perspective Podcast with Josh and Eric, and we are glad you're joining us wherever you are from. Eric, we have listeners all over the world and uh, from all walks of life. Anyone interested in missions and missionaries, uh, we think this podcast is for you. And of course, it's just a couple guys who are friends from way back talking about their life on the mission <laughs> field. And uh, But we really enjoy the interaction, Eric, I do, that we get from those who do listen to us. We've gotten emails. Uh, we've gotten questions sent in. We want to encourage mm-hmm. you to continue to do that. Ideas, uh, questions, emails, correspondence, send it in. We want to hear feedback from you, the listener. So, Eric, we're continuing answering these questions that my cousin sent in. And I think they are uh, great questions. We're looking a little bit about last week. We looked at kind of church structure, church function and leadership Mm -hmm. and and how that's orchestrated. We're going to look a little more in detail on training those who will take those responsibilities. So let's talk a little more in detail about how we engage in doing that Mm -hmm. training, finding the right man to take a leadership position, training him, investing our time and resources into them. And then finally, uh, engaging them in the responsibility of the ministry. Now, uh, before we ask the questions, uh, give us a brief summary again, Eric, of your experience in training men who have now taken leadership position, either in your church or in uh, church plants that you've been involved in. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a blessing. It's been uh, kind of a very fun journey along the way, training men. Uh, and Holly training ladies as well. We can probably get in that a little bit as well, because, you know, when I read the question from your cousin, you know, I was thinking more sometimes even in lay roles, uh, roles in the church, but obviously when leadership, as far as, you know, pastor, assistant pastor, things like that. But yeah, we've been blessed over the years to send out two different church planters, uh, both of not only the pastors themselves, but their wives were uh, heavily involved in our church. And, it's kind of a selfish thing. It's a, when they come to you and they, and they, they want to go start a church. I mean, there's, there's this dilemma of excitement uh, on one side and, and then sadness on the other, because you're really losing a, a great worker. Um, but we're going to dive into kind of maybe some of the steps of knowing when uh, they're able to take over roles. Um, but it's funny that we're even talking about this because just this week we've had one worker who really kind of the nuts and bolts, someone who, was someone I really leaned heavily on who opened and closed the church, who was in charge of the sound system, who knew all the maintenance and the facilities, who led the music, uh, has now gone to a different country. And so <laughs> just this week, we've been dealing greatly with uh, really dividing these responsibilities up. Um, and we have been training people in those positions. And now they need to take these leadership positions and really kind of divide up what was one person's job uh, into many roles. And so this really is something very uh, actually present in my life. Right now, last night, we have for the first time someone who was leading music who had never led music before. He has a good good voice. I know he's going to do a great job, but it's different when you get up there to lead music. And so that's kind of what we're going to talk about today, how you know people are ready to do these steps, how you get them involved in it, how you uh, lead them by the hand in many ways, and then kind of let them go. 
Yeah, that's exactly it. So question number nine, as we're continuing here and answering and responding to these questions that were sent in on the topic of training someone, uh, the question says, if you are training someone to take on more responsibility within your church, how do you get them to the point of doing things well without needing to come to you for everything? Uh, how do you get them to be self-sufficient mm -hmm. from you? is basically the question. There are different type of leaders, right, Eric? Are you, there's leaders who mm -hmm. they, they want to micromanage every little detail yeah. of, of whatever they've been given the responsibility to lead and others who maybe are more natural at delegating. Um, I think off the top of my head, just because it's relevant in the culture right now in, in America, especially, I think about uh, Elon Musk, okay? Elon Musk is the type of leader who I think is good at delegating. He's good at, you know, gathering the right people with the right skills to enact his vision. Maybe he's not skilled particularly. I don't think he, from what I've read about him, I don't think he micromanages every little detail, but as a leader, he'll bring in people that uh, know what they're doing and then implement them. Now with church leadership, it doesn't always come natural and how you're supposed to apply the scriptures mm -hmm. to everyday life. Because I think that's the key in, in the training of somebody to do leadership in the church. You're not just training them to do a job that maybe they're naturally gifted at. Uh, you, you want them to plug their gifts in to leadership where their gifts uh, should fit. But there's an aspect that goes beyond the secular world, which is, how do I use my gifts and talents that God has given me to serve others, but to make biblical application within the context of leadership? And so as you began leading and training guys, uh, what did that look like? When, How long until you started implementing some of these men into leadership, into doing what they were called to do? If you trained a preacher, when did you let him preach? You know, And then when did you get to a point where, I guess I'll ask this, you can kind of respond to the question, but for example, training a preacher, uh, did you review their messages before they got up and preached in your church? Did you go step-by-step step, or did you just say, hey, get up there and preach and then I'll analyze it later? How did that work in training uh, the men that you trained? So when I think of leadership, I basically think uh, predominantly of people who are in front of the congregation or in the case of sometimes Sunday school workers that are ladies even who are in front of the young children teaching the Bible, you know, we try to be very meticulous about that as far as character goes, uh, their, uh, their testimony. When it came to the preachers, I'll be honest, I was, I've was i always been very, very, um, what's the word, uh, diligent to not let anyone in the pulpit that wasn't pretty sure I knew what they were going to say. Uh, so with the young men, for instance, Ari and Elias, we had spent so much time together. We had already done training um, I guess there was probably some review of their notes, but I had given them small opportunities maybe to talk in front of some men, and I felt very confident they already had some of the abilities to um, the, the gift of teaching, so that uh, once they started preaching pretty early on, after we had gone through uh, homiletics and hermeneutics, doctrinal studies, I felt pretty confident they were going to be on the right path, and I was right. That being said, there haven't been a lot of men over the years. There have been some some you know opportunities to give Sunday school classes, things like that, where we have had to work through guys. But when it comes to teaching the Word of God, I'm very strict on who we let in. That being said, there are other opportunities. There, you know, leading music. There's um, doing announcements. There's uh, you know serving in various other degrees that we still want to have good testimonies 
uh, and then requires a lot of work. Um, basically, a lot of these tasks, you know, you ha you need to do the tasks with them ahead of time. You need to literally almost ha uh, practice it with them time after time after time, make some critiques lovingly, and then let them let them try it. And then afterwards, you know, encourage them, the old sandwich method, you know, if you know the sandwich method, you, you put some bread on top, which is the encouragement, put a little meat in the middle, that's the critique, and then you encourage them again with some more bread. And so a lot of those steps really have to do with trial and error. And let me say from the beginning, this isn't necessarily my strong suit. Uh, Holly is probably listening to this and sometimes thinking, we're not the greatest delegators in the world. And, and the truth is, sometimes we end up doing too much, but we have been able to do it. And one of the things I would say is um, it requires a lot of work ahead of time going over it, sometimes writing out the tasks. Uh, and then don't have such a high expectation. For instance, yesterday, the gentleman who led the music, led the music in the song that he had sang with us in the choir, knew it very well, and it was still very difficult for him. And I just realized from the very beginning, it's going to take time and patience to go through it with this with him and explain how he can lead the music. And so uh, be prepared. But boy, once they capture it, once they are on a roll, once they have that confidence to do that role, that's not only something off your plate, that's something everybody else rejoices in because really the body of Christ is exercising correctly. Yeah, certainly. I think as you're training men and women for various aspects of the ministry, I think that for the missionary, a couple things are key uh, to get people to a point where they can do that, fulfill that responsibility well, without needing to constantly come back either for your approval or to to verify, am I doing it right? Am I doing it correctly? And that would be just like you said, early on, be involved directly with it. For the missionary, you need to be observant, right? Your first term mm -hmm. on the mission field is your observation term. You've taken a survey trip and that survey trip was to figure out where am I going to lead and you know where am I going to minister and plant a church? But your first term, you're there to learn. I, I try to discourage missionaries to, to hold off on planning a church at least a couple of years, depending on how foreign the, the culture is to where you came from. Observe the culture, uh, read books written by men in that culture who are leaders within the culture so that you can learn how, you know, we, we can read the books by Maxwell and read the books by men who are leaders in the States. And those things, some of those leadership principles are universal, but there are other aspects that you have to learn to pick up on as you're working in the culture. And, and then I would just say that uh, you begin working side by side with these men and women who you are training for whatever Whatever purpose it is, I think of a gentleman that his responsibility, one of his first responsibilities was to open up the church on Sunday morning, make sure the church was set up, that everything was in its place. And I I just was there every Sunday morning with him, helping him make sure everything was arranged. I made sure that he had transportation to get to the church on time until we got to a point where I would just stay upstairs. I'd come down maybe 15 minutes after he arrived and he's setting up and just just thank him. Hey, thanks. You know, really appreciate setting this up mm -hmm. and then observing, you know, are there areas that need to be changed? So, uh, for example, he he took his job so seriously that as soon as church was done, he'd start stacking chairs while people were still sitting in them. And uh, mm -hmm. I, I said, well, all right, well, we'll meet with them later this week and We'll talk about that. And we, you know, we just had to kind of uh, lead them in the right direction to make sure that we're uh, not stacking people on top of each other. But I appreciated how serious he took his responsibility. 
And then learning to communicate those corrections, because that's another thing in the culture that you serve in. You have to mm -hmm. learn the appropriate way correct? to correct somebody. This gentleman was older than me. And so yeah. I've had to learn in a respectful way. Although I'm the leader, he views me, you're the pastor. You also have to do it in a way that won't bring shame upon him. Because, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's not, I'm not rebuking him for picking the chairs up too early, but you want to do it in a way that uh, is just kind of, you know, we're together in this. And so those are little little nuances you have to pick up in the yeah. in the culture and learn how to approach those things but yeah like i said you're you're the head servant leader you're you're the top servant mm -hmm. right and so your job is to is to in, encourage everyone else and to equip everyone else that you're serving to become a servant as well that they might serve others and that the church might be encouraged and so it just takes time and you have to learn people. You have to learn how people work and really get to know those you are discipling and training in a personal way. And then lastly, I'll add to get to where a task is being done. Well, I would say as you're developing this task and training someone, ask them questions as they're learning the basics of whatever task you're giving them, ask them for their input, mm -hmm. ask them for, Hey, what do you think you would yeah. do? Like, how would you do that? Like, how, how would you line this up or how, how would you uh, maybe run this program in this particular detail? And that's really a, an effective delegation is not just saying, here's a job. This is how I want it done. Now you do it. It's saying, Hey, I see that you have a gift mm -hmm. and a talent in this area. What are some ways that you might do this? And let's see if we can work together. And if they can even take just the minor ownership in the decision-making process of implementing a ministry and a responsibility, they'll take ownership of the whole thing and really take, you know, pride, not, not wrong pride, but really take a sense of mm -hmm. value, put value into what they're doing because they're doing it for the Lord and uh, they're doing it to encourage and serve the church. And then they're doing it in a way that they've, they're putting their own personality and gifting into. And so I would say, yeah, that's really, it, it's a process. It takes time but it's just walking with people and, and helping them plug in to be the best servants of Christ they can be. I think one of the things you mentioned that is also very important, I think, especially in the area of volunteers, you know, if we're not talking about paid staff, which is, I imagine the right. situation with the majority of our people, um, is that encouragement uh, from the pastor, even from the pulpit, and uh, to just, you know, be th thinking, telling the people, thank you from the pulpit. Hey, isn't so-and-so doing such a great job? Or thank for them, you know, pitching in and doing their part and using their talents and abilities. And then the opposite would be, you know, I can't think of a situation where you should be critical from the pulpit either. Like publicly, you should never be like, hey, what's wrong with you guys back there in the sound room? Or, you know, man, he really messed up that song. I mean, those kinds of things they really go a long way in, in de defeating someone as well. And so there are proper ways to deal with things. Uh, I think of something silly, like our, our music, when we have the, we'll have a, what we call a piece, a, a recorded, you know, piano song. And sometimes when we're leading the music and it gets to the end of the song, instead of letting the song play out, the guys in the sound booth will just turn it off. You know, and it's like, you know, you have to quietly later on go, let the music play all the way out, you know, instead of, you know, publicly just say, Hey, what are y'all doing back there? And so, a lot of that has to do with just our care as a pastor, uh, just encouraging people that they're doing a great job and uh, to keep it up. And it'll take a lot of practice. Yeah, certainly. And that that brings us to question 10. It, it's how do you know when 
the individual you're training is ready to handle things well on their own. What is the point when you know that you can delegate something to them, knowing that it will be handled properly? And again, this is just a matter of time, right? It's a matter of investing in mm -hmm. them. Um, you 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 lay the foundation of a relationship with them that, uh, you know, this is, you got to lay out the object, objectives and the goals. This is for the Lord. We're serving Christ. You're not doing it to please me. We're doing it to please Christ and whatever it is. And it's really, it's per, it begins with personal discipleship. I think that you're constantly mm -hmm. engaging them with in the Christian walk, in the Christian life. And as you're growing together in the Lord and discipling them, I, I'm reading a book right now called The Indigenous Church by Melvin oh, I Hodges. That, I love that book. Yeah. And one of the things he mentions is, you know, when you're training leaders, you always have to be one step ahead. They, You're not going to know everything. Mm -hmm. um, there's mm -hmm. the other day, I just, I was watching a guy online. He's a pastor and a theologian. And there was an aspect about the elders in the New Testament that I had never even heard before about how they were connected to the apostles when, when that's a whole nother story, but it was something that I had never even known. And he was showing different historical documents and that, that was showing this, this viewpoint on, of who these guys were that were being ordained in every church and, uh, and how they were connected directly to the apostles and those who had heard the apostles so that the word of God that was being preached before the new Testament was put into place they made sure that it was being verified that this is the word of God that was given by the apostles and Jesus. All that being said, there's always new things you're learning. And I like what he says in here, when you're training guys, just help them understand you're not going to know everything and that's okay. You're, you're, you're not going to understand mm -hmm. all the profound truth of the scriptures all at once. It takes time, but you do need to be at least one step ahead of those you're training. And so you as the pastor, you need to be training those you are training. You need to be a step ahead in your study and in your walk with the Lord. And uh, you need to be an example of the believer, as Paul said to Timothy, and with, with all of your being and all that you do, you also need to uh, train as they train, you know, set the example for whatever it is you're desiring them to do. But I would, I would say, you know, when, to know when they're ready to handle the responsibilities you're delegating to them. It's a lot like a father training a child to walk, right? A mom and dad have a kid. And when you notice that they have the desire to walk, then you go to that child immediately, you pick them up, you hold their hand, take a few steps with them. And you just little by little walk with them. They take a few steps on their own. You pick them back up again and you know, Paul said, I, I, I nurtured you as a father cares for his children. And I think that's really the missionary mm -hmm. job is you're, you're not there as the boss training employees. You are a father training the children to walk in the ways of the Lord, to use their gifts and talents to serve the Lord. And they'll stumble and fall. And you just compassionately, empathetically, and uh, and sometimes sternly, you pick them up and you continue walking with them and you'll know when they're ready to walk. What, what would you say? I mean, there, is there a point when you just know, or it's just kind of, it just, it just happens. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I, and one of the things I want to mention too, is, you know, you've heard the, the phrase before, probably the idiom that says the greatest ability is availability. You know, you are talking about people who are faithful to the Lord. 
I'm going to put this caveat out here. We've had people in our church. Uh, I can think of some people who came who had, you know, literally more degrees than me who could have probably taught a more deeper, profound lesson in our church, but they couldn't come to church. They, they couldn't find time to come to church sometimes. And I remember one gentleman being really frustrated with this guy who, who would come to church occasionally, but like, you know, he wanted to come teach a class and he's like, pastor, he didn't even come. And so there has to be this standard of understanding. You may not always have the most talented. There are people sometimes who have more gifts and abilities and they have not availed themselves to be faithful to the Lord. But we're talking about those who are faithful to the Lord. And I really think it's usually the pastor, I think. Maybe in bigger churches, it's harder like this. But usually it's the pastor often who will see and observe and sense that person's gift before even that person realizes themselves. Um, and I know that's been the case in our church. I've been able to see I'm I'm tr I'm discipling a young man right now that, you know, I'm praying that maybe he's going to be involved in the youth leader, maybe even maybe even in the future, a pastor. But, you know, he's still coming up in the faith. He's a, a hose that's just, you know, receiving everything. And um, uh, but I think as a, as a pastor, as a spiritual leader, we can often see the Lord developing people's lives before they even realize that. And so. Once they are able to get to that point where they're maybe they're open to that, uh, that just kind of has to do with observational skills. That has to do with your experience with others in the past, seeing their their talents and abilities, personalities. But also, Josh, a lot of it's the Holy Spirit. And I know that sounds like that's a simple answer, but there's a lot of prayer sometimes. Now, the more years I have where we've had positive examples and negative examples, you know, I'm even praying about certain situations now, like, Lord, should I approach this person. I see these things. I, I see how they could fit. Uh, but Lord, I want you to be in this. I don't want this to be my will. And so I think all three of those things, the Lord gives us a wisdom in. Another thing too, uh, this is kind of funny. A lot of times those around, the, around you in the church will help you. In 2015, we had to leave on a quick furlough. Actually, we were on furlough and our teammates had to leave because their daughter got a brain tumor. So Two young men in the church were kind of thrust upon uh, being the preacher and leading the music. And it was so neat when I came back, the church people approached me and they were like, you know, you should let Pastor Ari teach some more Sunday schools and preach. He does a really good job. And he said, they said, you know, Marco, he really, he really does a good job with the music. You should let him continue to do that. And so that was not a knock on me as much as was, hey, Pastor, we recognize these talents and gifts and abilities. And so I think a lot of it is just the body of Christ kind of coming together to realize uh, what the, how the Lord has uh, given spiritual gifts to certain people to use. Certainly. Yes. I, you know, the Holy spirit at work and the church will always confirm the working of the Holy spirit. That's, that's how we send out missionaries. You know, the missionary gets the call of the Holy spirit, the church, the sending church confirms that calling and sends you out. And it's the same function. You know, this is a, a family work where we're the body of Christ and every member of that body functions together. The hand recognizes the purpose of the foot and the, you know, the foot recognizes the purpose of the head and all of the body when it's functioning together. And that is exciting, Eric. I, I, we've had the same experience when, when somebody maybe is thrust into something, a, a ministry out of necessity and then come to find out that's mm -hmm. actually they're they're kind of naturally gifted in this particular area. Mm -hmm. And so that, another area which is difficult is when you ask somebody to fulfill a role and then you find out 
that's just not what they're good at. Mm -hmm. And you have to now try to approach yep. and say, Hey, maybe, maybe singing. Is it, <laughs> is it your thing? Right. Um, you know, like <laughs> lead, leading music, everybody should yeah. sing. Everybody should make a joyful noise. Uh -huh. We don't stop anybody from getting yeah. up, you know, wanting to yeah. share a song, but, um, you know, there's, <laughs> there's different aspects that have to go with that. But again, that has that the job of the, of the church leader of the pastor is to try to help guide people in those areas where they're gifted at. And I would say, and this will bring us to our last question for today. Um, it's always that it's that analogy of the father and his family. I think about the requirements of a pastor mm -hmm. in, in, in the epistle to Timothy. And part of it is he has to lead his family. And I try every week, I try to remind myself of that. What am I doing to actively train and disciple my family? Uh, because if I'm discipling and training those in the church, but I'm neglecting my family, I'm not fulfilling my role. I'm being a hypocrite, you know, essentially mm -hmm. by not obeying the, the, you know, pattern set out by Paul and Timothy. And so this last question for today is how do you mm -hmm. disciple people most effectively outside of once or twice a week teaching from the pulpit? And obviously you, you are to evangelize and disciple your church the assembly from the pulpit. That's a very effective way mm -hmm. to lead the church, to train the church and teach. Uh, but what do you do outside of that? And again, I, I'm using that family analogy. I, I think, okay, mm -hmm. what am I doing for my family outside of the pulpit? My family doesn't speak right. French or Wolof very well. And so I need to have specific areas where I'm training them scripturally in, in English so that they're mm -hmm. um, absorbing the word of God. Now, when it comes to the church, you need to pour a little bit more time into different men and women who are showing potential for becoming leaders in the church and servants. What are some things that you do outside of the pulpit to train men or women, whether it's you or your wife, to train men or women, not just, now this is more with discipleship, not just like, let's train mm -hmm. a nursery worker, because you could probably have a right, program right. set up, but we're talking right. about what do you do to disciple men and women? Right. And do you train disciple makers and then have others make disciples? What What's your program look like outside of the pulpit for investing in people? So, you know, once again, put the caveat out there, the parentheses, if you will, you know, this, all of us, I would, I would agree that probably want to do better at this, but in the last few years, for whatever reason, um, during the pandemic, um, a lot of people in this area seem in our church, seemed to, at least a group, wanting to get closer to the Lord. And that was encouraging for us. And so I was able to do more what we might call formal discipleship um, than, than in previous years. Now, I, from the very beginning, I offered discipleship classes to certain men, teenagers, and would do it uh, and, and often would complete it. Uh, but more recently than, than ever before, we've had more opportunities. So I've been trying to use my time. And that formal discipleship, you have kind of two basic levels. There's a a real basic book. Both these books are put out by Striving Together in Spanish for us. Um, they're basically one is about new truths for new believers, Bible truths for new believers. And it's real basic. It's basically you're just filling in, you know, Bible verses as they go over some principles. But that's really good for people who don't have any concept of the Bible or very little. And there's a lot of confusion. But a lot of times people will come to your church and they have some church background. They understand some of those things. And what they need is a little more advanced. And that's what I've been doing more lately. There's another book called Continue 
uh, that uh, Striving Together puts out that is really comprehensive, uh, that I feel like really fills in a lot of the holes for people who maybe have gone to Pentecostal churches or evangelical churches, but really just not learned a lot of things about the Bible. And though it is, I think, a 14-week or 14-chapter uh, um, discipleship book, often I double that. Like, we we often will just do half a class. Because one of the things I learned about discipleship before I even became a missionary, and this was from a real dear friend, a uh, pastor in Valley Forge named Sam Elstock. He really explained one time, teaching some materials that we've also used for discipleship classes, um, that so much of discipleship has nothing to do with the materials. Really has to do with when you sit down, you're available for the questions. And that's, it's really neat. There's one gentleman I'm going through right now who has a lot of a potential. Before we start, I have to purposely like not open my Bible, purposely not open the book because I know he's got three or four questions. And then that really is going to be the most important time of our discipleship that day. Now, you have to train them the doctrine. You have to go through the verses to show them the truth that they can believe in. But that part where they're going to ask you, you know, is that what they really believe, this religion? Or is this what this really, you know, what, what are the differences here? And, and then practical, I had a great question from him. He's like, how do you divide your time between your family, your job, and serving the Lord? I'm like, what a great question. I mean, that's what discipleship is all about. I got that question last week, you know. And so we understand there is formal discipleship, but so much of that is going to be really applicative, you know, explaining to people what we're learning and what it means. And I just finished this week with three young men in our church a whole year. We discipleship, did discipleship for a whole year. And with them, they didn't have as many questions right away during the lessons. But what we what we started doing was when the lessons were done, we would either play basketball for 30 minutes or an hour afterwards or ping pong. And especially in the case of these three young men, they don't have a father in their lives. They have fathers who are living, but they're not in their lives. And I realized my discipleship was as much important teaching them that book than it was spending time with them, answering questions, having fun. And so that's our formal discipleship. We also have men's classes through the years that has developed men after they've gotten out of that discipleship. Um, but really, Josh, I think a discipleship after you get over that formal part is really spending time with people. I believe going to funerals, going to weddings, going to uh, birthday parties, almost are as important as what you teach them because you're showing that you love them, you're real, you're you're being spending time with them in their homes, you're working with them. And so it, it, it's really just this big, this big ball, but it does start with teaching. You have to teach them, uh, but then it's following up and being real. I don't know if that answers that question for your cousin. I think so. I think that that really is the key is that that personal time you spend when you've done discipleship, of course you have a pulpit ministry, you preach, and then you're personally investing in doing discipleship. Have you seen more light bulb moments from the pulpit? Now there's been a few times where I'm preaching something, teaching something from the pulpit and you could see the light turn on in everybody's eyes. And it's like, Whoa, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Or have you seen more of that in your one-on-one -on -one interaction where people that you're working with individually through personal questions, it, it dawns on them, the light bulb turns on and they get passionate about what they're learning. Where do you see, do you see that more in your pulpit ministry or maybe more, or is it balanced? Um, I would, I would 
I would guess by the reactions that I've received and the times that people have kind of approached me that it's probably more in discipleship. I remember one specific time was funny. This, this, this gentleman named Patrick who had gone through a really difficult time. He'd come to church. He heard the Sunday school lesson. And I don't remember what the Sunday school lesson was about. He's like, you know, after hearing the Sunday school, he said, pastor, I need to be saved. I, I, I need to follow the Lord. I said, well, okay, well, this is great. Well, we're about to have church. You know, we're gonna have this message, but as soon as we're done, We'll talk, you know, well, during the message, obviously we preached the gospel in some form that he came up to me afterwards, like, pastor, I got saved during the church service, you know? And so like, you know, those cases are few and far between, you know, um, normally it is with that discipleship. It's with training, going through a whole series and people coming back. And I'll say this, really, I find the light bulb moments often, Josh, are after discipleship when you have consistent biblical counsel with them. You know, once you've spent time with someone in their home, disciple them or at church or wherever then you do it and i will say have a distraction free environment if you go to a, some kind of coffee shop and there's distractions they're not going to learn okay i believe in distraction free environments um but it's really when that counsel they trust you and they say pastor let me ask you about my family let me ask you about this and that's when the word of god really comes real and that takes a lot of time and often josh we won't get opportunities in people's lives right away. It takes years of investment. Sometimes you'll start and stop with discipleship. I'm not a big fan of discipling people who aren't faithful at church. you got to be faithful at church. We have people who love to have the pastor just be on retainer and come teach me the Bible because I can't come to church on Sunday. We don't play that very long. <laughs> no, you're right. And this is, you know, just to close out on this, I would say, hey, this is not just the preacher's job, Right. We're, we believe churches no. plant churches. We believe missionaries plant the gospel and evangelists, you know, plant the evangel, we plant the gospel and disciples make disciples. And so you, Eric, as a pastor, you're making a disciple, but I would say the discipleship that we do stems from, it must flow from our own personal discipleship, our own personal walk with the Lord. Mm -hmm. Whereas you mentioned counseling comes with that. I think there's a difference between personal discipleship and counseling and counseling is part of that pastoral mm -hmm. work where you're learning the person yeah. and then applying the Bible to their life. Discipleship is kind of like, well, here's what the Bible says. This is how I'm mm -hmm. trying to live it out in my life and walk it in my life. And I want you to walk along with me as we walk with the Lord together. As the apostle Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. That's where discipleship is. And that's the job of every believer. Are you investing your time and life in others? If you're a father, it begins with your kids. Um, if you're, if you're in the church, you need to find somebody to pour your life into and begin investing your life into uh, just sharing, hey, here's what the Lord's doing in my life. Here are some principles I'm learning. And just take a young person under your wing and begin to encourage them to walk with the Lord. Well, this has been a great discussion. I've enjoyed these questions so much. We're going to continue next week and keep moving along. Uh, we may in a few weeks take a break during Christmas, but uh, we're going to keep going. Uh, this this episode, I think, is going to air in December. Uh, it'll probably be December something by the time this one airs, and we'll have a few more. We'll try to finish up before Christmas all of the questions. I think we could do it, Eric, but I'm looking forward to continuing with this, continuing the discussion. And uh, we appreciate all who are listening. Hey, send in your questions if you got them. This is Josh Mead from Senegal, West Africa. And Eric Johnson in the DR.
Have a great day. God bless.